0: sentence again, you know. <laughs> Where did he go in? Look, I clicked record and I didn't even uh, mean to. Anyway, so it's Modern Fart. Uh, I'm Simon from the Art Cinema Fart Cinema team. Unfortunately, one of our team members is missing, but I'll get into that after I present to you the guest that you'd probably know from previous episodes, Cameron.
1: Hello there, I'm back again. I am taking Nadeem's spot for the interim.
0: Well deserved, well deserved. I'm drinking coffee, but hopefully not for much longer. So if you hear a slurping noise, my apologies.
1: And it's the coffee, it's definitely the coffee. <laughs> it's, it's no, nothing, nothing else is being slurped. Right! Art cinema, fart cinemas, modern fart. Is you?
0: Right, so Nadim, I don't know if you've heard this right, but apparently Nadim, first of all, he's a big fan of the actor Dennis Quaid, uh-huh. he loves Dennis Quaid, and he went to locations of Dennis Quaid movies, you know, as soon as lockdown was basically lifted, he just fired through as many as he could, I <laughs> couldn't believe it, I was like, where are you now Nadim? Alright, but guess what, right, he fell down a fucking well, right, the well, <laughs> Cold Creek Manor that Dennis Quaid was in with Sharon Stone, right. There's a well in the end of that film called called the Devil's Throat. He he went to the real location and fucking fell down. <laughs> it. And the, here's the thing: none of the authorities can be bothered to help him because they just think it's it's so stupid. It's like when you break down. If you like, see, if you broke down in a DeLorean, the AA would just like drive past. They would think f*** that you know, you're in a DeLorean, mate, piss off. And it's the same, you know. He's down this well. And he's actually wearing a Dennis Quaid t-shirt that he had to make him He had to go into like the printer's shop with a photograph of Dennis Quaid and say, can I get that on a t-shirt,
1: please? I mean, <laughs> he's if I saw that. him, I'd just leave him. He's, I'd be like, too much effort.
0: He's wearing that down a well, people. <laughs> right, okay. Anyway, we'll move on from that. That's terrible. I can't believe who I'm associated with these days. So this modern fart is more relevant than any other modern fart because it's actually a film set eight thousand years from now, the year ten thousand one hundred and something something, and planet Earth doesn't actually factor into it, does it? No, it's one. I
1: think the year's (laughs) one hundred one eighty-two because that was stuck in my head.
0: Nearly eight thousand years is that? I don't know. Yeah, but the the human characters are so far removed from us that they are almost not human anymore. Yes. The movie is Dune, part one. <laughs> it's directed by a man, I believe his name is pronounced Denis Villeneuve.
1: Something like that.
0: But I'm going to butcher that so much that I don't, well, I don't want to risk butchering it so much that I'm just going to give him a pseudonym for the, the podcast, which is Denise Huxtable. Okay. So I'm going to refer to the film Dune, directed by Denise Huxtable, because I think that's way more respectful than getting his name wrong for yes. half an hour or however long we take to, to blather this one out
1: Well I didn't know that he did Blade Runner 2049
0: A good a good film, I liked that I liked it the first time and I really liked it the second time.
1: I've only seen it once and after being told when the film finished that that's what else what he did, I thought ah, that makes sense because you can kind of see the similar, mm-hmm. and I'm sure Hans Zimmer did both the soundtracks Yeah, Blade yeah. Runner and
0: yeah, I'm a big, I'm a fan of Denise Huxtable's. You know, I think that he's made a lot of strong films and a lot of varying film. Like, so obviously, Dune doesn't have much intimacy to it, whereas a film like Prisoners has a sort of intimate human scale. Uh, so you know that he can do that. Dune is a film that's it's being described as the unfilmable novel, and it was made in 1984 by David Lynch, unsuccessfully, commercially, critically. There's always those people that say, I really like that film, but I think it's fair to say that it's a sort of mammoth disaster in comparison to the book.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I only, I've never really known anything about June other than Sting in the David Lynch film in a weird thong and then Patrick Stewart holding a pug going into battle. That's all I know. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give this one a go.
0: Right, I'm glad that you mentioned Sting, because I rewatched watched the Lynch film re- fairly recently, probably brought, spurred on by the arrival of a new film. And uh, all the way through it, I was thinking, who is this Sting? He's reminding me of someone contemporary, and I can't place it. And so long into the film, the penny dropped, and I was like, it's fucking Ed Sheeran. <laughs> He's a streamlined Ed Sheeran, Smug grin, bright red hair, all messy. Eyes just staring at you. You know, I'm famous. And actually, you know, it reminded me also of that Greta Thunberg because I spotted that she looks like that Stephen Merchant. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a few, there's been a few memes about Thunberg and Merchant looking the same. And I saw them and I thought. You know, I don't want to be that guy that says I spotted that first, but I actually think I spotted that first <laughs> I Don't think it, I think that I, was, we'll, I had the we'll jump on that will give you the
1: credit one. for that, Simon
0: <laughs> Thunberg and Merchant Yeah, Dune is uh, um, the 84 film I have not read the book I'm not a reader of big massive novels, or even small novels, really I don't go in for it, and I don't think that makes me stupid okay, before anyone gets na 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 nah. I've got glasses, that, that means I'm smart Okay.
1: I mean, I'll take that. I have glasses Gla- too. We've
0: both got glasses. Have you read the book?
1: I don't read. Yeah, it's I, prefer all, both... audi- I prefer audio books myself.
0: How appropriate for our modern fart film podcast that neither of us fucking read. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Nadine was the reader and look where that got him.
0: Yeah, down a well, wearing a Dennis Quaid t-shirt. <laughs> he made himself via some printing studio. I bet they laughed. They saw the photograph and said, you want this on the t-shirt? Fucking hell. It's like big grinning Dennis Dennis Quaid. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable, man. So I feel like a fan of Dune without having read the book because as a kid, I had the undiscerning sort of fandom of, this is a weird film, that scary guy's got a lumpy face, there's big worms... And then my mum uh, was like a fan of the books and she acted like the cliff notes. She gave me the, the backstory, even though I didn't need it anyway, because I, <laughs> I was eight. I didn't give, I didn't
1: care. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so he just sat you down and was like, this is the, this is what the sandworms mean, Simon. The
0: the, the spice melange, they are key. <laughs> Apparently the, the worms actually are key in creating the spice. Uh, I'd, I'd like they shit it or something in the books but I don't know if the film's going to go into that
1: well we'll find out in part 2
0: you'll find out in part 2 if the spice is in fact warm shit um, but no I liked the f- I liked the old film in that understanding way Like there was a film called Beastmaster that was made in 1982 with Mark Singer and it was schlocky, it was B-movie-ish it was sword and sorcery and magic and stuff
1: I'm sure I've heard or seen clips of that before
0: the same Simon that liked that film Liked Dune as well, and then I grew up and realized that you know all that stuff's kind of a bit bit pish, yeah, (laughs) just a little, a little bit. Just there's an edge of pish. It's 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 got a pish component to it. But going into Dune, this right, how how long have we been talking? Only eight minutes, right? And we're finally getting onto the subject of Denise Huxtable's Dune. (laughs) I think this film's really great. When I saw it, it was I saw it, I liked it, and then I immediately worried, and I worried Mm. because. It needs a second part to justify existing, almost. Yeah. It's a 165 million budget film... With that select audience,
1: yes. See, Not a, everyone's yeah. going to go. Oh, let's go see Dune Part One.
0: Even the word of mouth is probably. I, I, the worry for me came from well, people will just walk around t- describing this as a boring. F- I, I see. This is. I knew what the criticisms would be. It's boring. It's convoluted. It stretches to fit in storyline and all the rest of it. Most predictable of all is like the humanness. The, what I was talking about with prisoners. Mm oh, you don't care about any of the characters. I didn't cry. No, there wasn't a dog that died and nobody got AIDS and, you know, just that sort of thing. It's like, all that stuff that 80s Oscar bait movies got slagged for, all of a sudden it's okay to do that when you make a film like Dune because people just point out that there's no, you know, cuddly family interest to it. And you're just like, right, okay, well, fine. Not every film's got to be terms of fucking endearment or whatever, you know, or Kramer versus Kramer. But this film is, so it's huge, got lots of exposition to its uh, layers of narrative and that. I think that Denise Huxtable did a great job of pulling all that together and characterising and world-building at the same time.
1: Yeah, I actually really liked the universe, the concept, and... The world building. I loved the actual look of everything. I mm. liked how each planet had like its own feel, and you could tell that it was it didn't just feel like the same thing copy and pasted all over, which has actually made me want to listen to the book because I'm actually interested to see it how more expansive this can go because I kind of mm-hmm. left going. Oh, I wanted. I want to know more.
0: So summary of Dune: the story is that the Atreides family. Acquire from an emperor, unseen in this film, but yeah. it, it, you know,
1: he's a galactic emperor, universal emperor, is he not? Like, he rules he rules yeah. the imperium,
0: yeah. So, this emperor gives House Atreides,
1: mm-hmm.
0: headed by uh Oscar Isaac's character, who I thought was
1: good. I liked him in
0: this, actually. He's great, yeah, yeah, he's a good actor. They're all good, and uh. Po- <laughs> It's too fucking complicated. The Atreides family inherent ruling over the planet Arrakis? Yes. Otherwise known as Dune because it's a big fucking desert planet. And the planet uh, you can harbour spice from it and that's the most valuable commodity in the universe.
1: Because it allows interstellar space travel. It's what is needed for navigators to navigate through holes in space or something Mm -hmm. like that
0: yeah and there's the danger of the worms more importantly though the Harkonnens used to own uh, Arrakis and uh, they will be coming for the Atreides family since they feel unfairly cut out of the the spice loop (laughs) it's setting up basically a war between Harkonnens and Atreides Paul Atreides is the main character and he's Inheriting the power of his dad, but also his mother, who has kind of like a witch line, where they've been kind of genetically engineering. It's
1: the Bannera Jeseret woman or mother yeah, or something.
0: Yeah. I don't know. This is the bit that I'm really quite fuzzy on, and maybe part two will make me less Built fuzzy about it. it. Yeah, because it's like it's it's like he's inherited two things that are competing. And he's a sort of fly in the ointment for the plans of like these witchy women that wanted uh, Paul's mother to have a daughter, but yeah. he's but he's a son. All that potential wasted on a man, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So that's that's it. War of families. Paul's the chosen one, and there's an epic amount of plot points all over the place that no doubt make this film seem like a convoluted mess to the naysayers. I don't agree.
1: So, I mean, I've never seen Timothy Chalamet in anything before June, so I don't know if that's his acting style or if in every film he's always, oh, sand. Oh, I'm getting high off space sand. Oh, I don't know what to do with my life. Oh, there's a woman with blue eyes. Let's just, let's just go fuck her.
0: <laughs> what if this isn't my destiny, dude? You'll still be who I need you to be. No, I've, I actually think that I've seen... Is Timothy Chalamel a chameleon? Is he not like? Uh, was he not in Ladybird or something? Is he not like the sort of songwriting musical guy? And I don't know. I feel like he was like the rock star kid who smoked.
1: He's has being Willy Wonka. He's, has he? He's, uh, he's the Willy Wonka and the Willy Wonka prequel.
0: I don't know. I might have to, you know, like uh, figure out who this guy is as well. I know that he did like a, a gay interest film that got really woohoo. Everyone loves that film, uh, but you know,
1: like <laughs> your
0: jazz hands. Yeah, uh, but anyway, no, no. He's um he's a he's a person that many women find attractive despite being skinny. That's what I heard. about. Oh, this, even though he's skinny, he's really hot. I should say as well, there was like scenes were cut from this film. At least one that Denise, Denise Huxtable described it as a pain to cut some scenes. But apparently, this director doesn't like doing extended versions. I hope that uh, Denise Huxtable sees fit to release an extended version on Blu-ray, though. As a outlying occurrence, because if it was painful, then just put it back in because people sit and watch ten hours in front of the TV, no problem.
1: Well, speaking of that. I have a note here about people saying that this is the this generation's Lord of the Rings. Speaking of extended editions. <laughs> and I kind of thought, being the resident Lord of the Rings super fan, I didn't understand where they were going, oh, it's like Lord of the Rings, other than, oh, it's part one of three and it's a big fantasy sci-fi mm. blockbuster. But I didn't get the whole comparison. Yeah, cause yeah. Because if it was like the first part of lord of the rings it could have a lot more world building in it i felt like some of it was in this was maybe just mm-hmm. a bit rushed you could have had maybe like an extra 10 15 minutes of just
0: there's comparisons around. and distinctions but you know the lord of the rings thing basically it's referring to the fact it's thick dense and it's going to take more than one film to tell the story that's kind of pretty much all that means i think yeah. it is a dr- it's a drier movie than lord of the rings that's where it's going to s- uh, struggle with huge I, I
1: can't remember box the author's name, of Dune. Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert. But I, funnily enough, the day before, I booked my tickets to see June. It was J.R. Tolkien's note about the book to him, and he was like, "Oh, I, I haven't sent you a review of the book. Thank you for sending me two copies for me to read, but I don't send reviews to." authors that I think the book's not very good, he's like, I don't like Dune in fact, I'd rather dislike it, and I was like, oh
0: J.R. Oh, Tolkien disliked J.
1: June. he hated it, he did not <laughs> like it at all, but he says, look, I would give you my positives if I could but I'm not in the habit of saying right, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, I didn't like this, cut that, it's more just, I don't like it, so I would rather not ruin your yeah. own thoughts on your work
0: that's quite commendable. Yeah. Of course, I would be like uh, kind of worried if I was. I'm pretty sure that that, probably, that must have knocked Frank Herbert down <laughs> a few.
1: <laughs> probably just a bit. <laughs> but it was so like eloquently written. It was just like, oh, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but your work's shit. And it's like, oh, hmm, okay.
0: I think Lord of the Rings gets off to a great. You know, watchable start in the first one But as soon as the second one started I immediately kind of gave up <laughs> So sorry, I know that you're the big fan but, uh, I mean,
1: I kind of agree I like, I like, in order, I like 1, 2 and then 3 3 I can kind of just So it, t- it tails
0: off across 6 hours or 7 hours even Yeah Yeah, no, um, I hope that Dune Part 2 I've got, I feel a hope that Dune Part 2 will be explosive Over and above what Part 1 is And it will bring Part 1 up That's my hope Fingers crossed. Hmm. I'm glad it's at least been greenlit so it is going to actually reach the screen. You know, I'm going to talk a bit about my favourite word in the English language, which is the word foreboding. Mm -hmm. And I love the word foreboding. I think the foreboding, in order to do it well, it requires kind of like a a careful measurement of things. It's not, you can't lay on foreboding with a trowel because then it becomes menace. Mm -hmm. Foreboding is gentle. And I think that. Dune is a film that, like I said, it told its story well, it got its characters in there well, it ticked, ticked, ticked boxes for me, while everyone else is like thinking, why is this film boring and inhumane? It ticked those boxes for me, and what I really love about it is the, the foreboding. Uh, so there's a real feeling of, we're setting up a story here, and it's just not going to go well.
1: No, I actually <laughs> wrote down, was just like the overall design of everything, I thought was spot on. I know some people were like... One of my friends at work was saying that they found the costumes a bit bland, and you know oh, the lighting could be a bit better in some places. But I thought the overall design of the costumes, the sound design, I really like the sound design because there wasn't a whole lot in it. It was just like the and then. This is, is
0: something p- that I think Chris Nolan has played a part in, kind of setting that t- that standard for. Contemporary movies really well. You know, that whole how the Joker's theme in The Dark Knight. Yes. The Joker's theme is just a whee- kind of drone. It's done probably across like the strings of a cello. Mm. Uh, but it's, it actually sounds like a mechanical thing that you've, oh, so something not plugged in right, you know, <laughs> you're looking around, you know. That's actually a really inventive thing to go down the road of less is more and.
1: I bet you Christopher Nolan love this part, but, oh, yeah, it's all about me.
0: Yeah, I love the fact that they were talking about Dune, and then within, you know, 20 minutes,
1: they were talking about me and my shit.
0: Awesome. <laughs> yes. I've, seen, I've noticed on YouTube that there's a chat with uh, Christopher Nolan and Denise Huxtable, and that, you know, there's, there's titles of clips like Christopher Nolan loves Dune. I'm not surprised. J.R. No. Tolkien might have hated... Frank Herbert's novel, but it makes total sense to me that Chris Nolan would like this film. And I'm going to give this film a provisional 9 out of 10, because the second one, it's not like Die Hard 2, where it's like, if it sucks, you've always got the first one. If the second one's bad, it brings it down. If it's great, it brings it up, or it can level out at the same. But provisionally, this film's got 9 out of 10. I hope the sequel transforms it to a 10 out of 10 feeling across both films because I think that it could it's it's possible, it can happen there's a little room for improvement when the story's actually finished so <laughs> there you go
1: Yeah, I've after my first viewing I've given it a 7 out of 10 but I feel that my opinion will deeper after listening to the book and seeing the sequel, maybe watching this one again, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think there's too much to just give it a flat-out opinion and go, this is what I think. I think it's one of those ones that if somebody said, oh, do you want to go and watch Dune again? I'd be like, hell yeah, let's go watch it again. And I can actually think about when watching it rather than just getting my eyes and ears blasted out looking at an IMAX screen. Ah, oh, see it what in
0: enjoying IMAX. It. See it in IMAX, my friend. <laughs> Who cares? You know, I think Blu-rays are good. Watching in your, the comfort of your own home but anyway, yeah, no, this film has done well enough to get the sequel, so I can stop being worried about that aspect of it. And uh, we'll count down to sp- taking off our spoiler guard. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, five, Two. Bum. Spoiler guard taken off. Which doesn't mean that we need to stay in spoils, it just means that we can now relax. and uh, you Because know. one thing I was actually going to say, that one of the reasons that this film is important to me is that it's outside of the norm, and I actually think that we're right now. We're in the worst era for everything being the same, like dominated by dot dot
1: dot. Just utter schlock.
0: Marvel, Pixar, things that are closely associated with either of those two. Let's face it: the problem is is that Disney runs everything and owns everything.
1: Mickey Mouse is our overlord, whether we like it or not.
0: I mean, like one of the when this when this happened. One of the first absurdities that occurred to people is that the Fox TV channel is now a subsidiary of, of Disney, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the channel that does The Walking Dead. So The Walking Dead is a Disney property. It's about zombies. It's got ultra violence in it. You know, my left testicle has got <laughs> Disney tattooed on it. I woke up <laughs> I woke up one morning and someone had tattooed the fucking logo on the left side of my beanbag while I was asleep. So it's only a matter of time before the right one goes to Disney as well. So that's my, my issue with film right now is that, that that's the that's a big, huge problem, that there's only superhero movies or Pixar movies or something very close to, to those things, and that's what's dominating the large-scale end of everything. So this is a large-scale film that comes in and isn't that, and I wanted to see it get voted into existence for more, and I want Things to go in that direction, where it all started to creep back into some creative area after Dune Part One came out. That's my vision of the future. This could be the whole, the start of things getting creative when it comes to big budgets, instead of just like, oh, there's, you know, a great film was made for like ten thousand you know pretzels, like that. <laughs> like when I saw The Witch and when I saw Saint Maud, I was like, this is my day. This is my day. And the other three hundred and sixty-four days of the year is fucking moron popcorn film day.
1: Toy Story seventy-five.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. So yeah. We just want we just want two films, right? A second one to go with this one. That's all we want. Nobody out there has to worry that everything's going to be taken over by, you know, brainy sixties science fiction novels. It's two films. So anyone, you know, I don't know if anyone's out there attacking this uh, in the sort of like... It's so overrated, you know, why are people know? My message to them if they are out there is uh, it's two films, chill out, you're going to watch ten movies next year that you'll love and I'll fucking hate. The world is yours, not mine, I'll tell you that.
1: Well, this is my first film uh, that I've seen post-lockdown and I have to say I think I've chosen quite a good one to... Kick off going back to the cinema with.
0: I actually don't know if I want to spoil this film because I, I don't really I don't feel a nitty grittiness in terms of you know the story that story was that done well was that done badly it was so serviceable to the book that I just want to say tick you know you did you did well you know there's nothing I don't want to get into the whole you know oh it's a bit weird when this person does that because there isn't anything weird everything. Is the story being told, and it's like a famous, it's a famous enough bloody story, I think. You know, I mean, how many people have read that book? <laughs> Not us.
1: <laughs> no, Nadim has
0: Nadim down the well.
1: That's what he brought with him. He thought, "I need something to do in case I fall down a well." So he yeah. brought a copy of June and, and a, look a, at that.
0: a torch hat, one of those hat torches <laughs> thing. You know, he's just reading, reading Frank Herbert's June. The sandworms are great. Actually, one thing that you could uh, here's a spoiler, right? When the doctor who teaches them all about, you know, the, the,
1: what's the suit called? What? The, the, it's like, firm, it's not firmware, but it's some, it starts with an F and it keep, it, it recycles their sweat and their tears into water. Is, that that like is it a fast suit? Something like that. Is it
0: a fast suit? Yeah. So the doctor who mm-hmm. helps them with their fast suits or whatever they're called, the drinking their own sweat suits. mm mm-hmm. She's about to ride a worm. You can see her getting ready. She's put the thumpers on the ground, doof, doof, doof to call the worm with vibrations. And you get, you see yeah. her like, get the hooks out. It's like, she's a way to ride a worm. And then, <laughs> then they fucking kill her.
1: And then she gets stabbed to the fucking abdomen. She
0: gets stabbed, and everyone gets ate by the worm, you know? And, you know, it's just like basically the worm, the first, the first uh, appearance of this worm, it absolutely blew my mind. It was an amazing scene, I thought. Uh, With the crawler. Yeah, Mm. yeah, the menace menace of the worm approaching and them having to free people from the spice harvesting machine that's going to sink. You know, that was brilliant. And uh, basically after that, I just spent the rest of the film thinking, I hope we see more of the worms. And that was kind of a distraction, you know. So then I watched it a second time and I knew how many worm scenes there was going to be. I kind of put that aside and I was like, I was just... uh, appreciating it for what was there rather than what might be there in 20 minutes down the line.
1: I always forget how big they are, because I remember reading a thing about they're like 400-whatever long, (laughs) and then you see them and you're like, Jesus, these things are massive, which obviously is the whole point, is that there's nothing on the planet that can, you know, fight them. They are the apex predator and you just have to live with them rather than trying to get rid of them. Because how do you get mm. rid of giant underground worms?
0: Yeah. But that's the only spoiler I've got for this film, really, is that the worms don't appear that often, and, you know, you might just be wanting to see more worms. Yeah. <laughs> <the whole time. laughs> uh, but actually, no, no, no. Um, so Paul's uh, got this vision of a, of, of a beautiful woman uh, who's played... Is it Zendaya? Is that the name of it? Zendaya, she like, which Zendaya? made
1: me a bit weirded out because the first thing I ever saw her in was when my, my sister at the time watched Disney Channel and we're getting back to Disney mm. and she was in some show with Bella Thorne and they did like dance moves it was like a break dance club and that's the only thing I see her in and I'm just like oh, oh I can't take it seriously because all I keep thinking is do, 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 Disney and it's like okay
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's incredibly weird
0: yeah, we all have. We all, we all need to give people a chance to grow. <laughs> but you can never escape Disney.
1: Oh, That'll Disney. That'll haunt you forever. The, sh- the
0: shadow of Disney approaching from the right of the screen like a menacing, foreboding... Anyway, um, no, he's got visions of Zendaya as, like, a, a blue-eyed Fremen lady that seems that he's fated to have a love uh, interest there. I think it's quite interesting at the end of this film uh, because a lot of people will say no emotion... It ends on a whimper and all the rest of it. I actually don't feel that. I think that by the end of it, the emotions been kind of cranked up quite a lot in the sort of the the trials and tribulations of Paul and his mother, played by what is her name again, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, great
1: I, I don't know what she's. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything.
0: Have you seen Doctor Sleep?
1: No, I've not Not Doctor
0: Sleep in this film, I actually really like her acting in both these movies right? Uh, and she did White Queen she's also in a lot of uh, Mission Impossible she's like a recurring Mission Impossible character but I don't watch that
1: No, neither do I (laughs) Uh,
0: So, Rebecca Ferguson plays Paul's mother and they, they become exiled after the Harkonnens attack and end up in the hands of the Fremen and Paul has to battle one and all the rest of it to kind of apparently you have to kill someone if you're allowed to to, to join <laughs> it's like, you can join us after you've killed that one over there because he's the most angry some angry dude just like fight me and Paul's just like
1: I don't want me I, I don't know I've never killed a man before
0: <laughs> yeah so Zendaya is like uh, she, she, she sees Paul thinks you're just a boy you're not going to kill anyone uh have a nice death. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't go that way. He wins his spot among the Fremen and his mum I like the way that his mum you can you can tell that she just wants to get off the fucking desert. She's like, you can help us and he's like Paul's like, No, we will stay you know, we we, <laughs> we will follow the our fate and stay here among the Fremen and all that and you, you know, if this film was directed by, you know, Judd Aptow, it would have cut back to Rebecca Ferguson and she'd just have gone, shit <laughs> 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 <The> Fucking Desert <laughs>
1: <laughs> I liked her character. I liked how, obviously, it seems like she's got Paul's best interests, but then you can tell she's got her own kind of schemes going in in the background that she's thinking, right, shit, well, how do I get this to go if he's needing to do this? Hmm.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the very end of the film is actually, it's interesting right up to the last second because Paul notices the potential love interest in Zendaya and smirks in that sort of boyish way that some of us have done after they've realised that there's a girl around that they like. And it cuts to the mother and she's looking at him all smiling and then as he passes her and walks out of shot, her face drops to, I'm f***ing livid, you know? (laughs) You just want to get balls deep in Zendaya and I have to live in the f***ing
1: sand, you know? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was one of the notes I wrote, is just like, I wonder what her possible manipulation's going to be <laughs> in part yeah. two, whether she has a big part or whatever. Because There's here's no the thing,
0: that old David Lynch film, uh, plus my mum's cliff notes, verbal cliff notes, uh, essentially I'm I'm learning now what Dune's actually about, and yeah. I actually don't know <laughs> from, from that sort of weird eight-year-old uh, head fuck. <clears throat> I don't actually know what, what, truthfully, the intricacies of the characters are. So I will find out, thanks to Denise Huxtable and his efforts to bring Dune successfully to the screen. So I think that, that, that kind of concludes what we're talking about. You gave it 7, but you kind of feel like it'll go up. I, I gave it 9, and I think it'll go up, hopefully. you know.
1: I would give it a 7 with a preface to probably go up to about an eight and a half, mm. nine, if... Everything that I think is going to happen and listening to books falls into place. Yeah, but it's not hard set.
0: It could see its future as my favourite sci-fi thing. You know, it's it's great. But anyway, no. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, modern fart. I hope that you feel like you've learnt something about the future as well. You know, I mean,
1: maybe n- we'll all be spice miners soon.
0: Yeah, yeah. On some solar system. When Elon far, Musk far away. takes us
1: all to Mars.
0: Yeah, in a Tesla.
1: Bye.